You're listening to a ComicsXF podcast. WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the ComicsXF interview podcast, where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. These guests are the creators of the new Dark Horse graphic novel, The Unlikely Story of Felix McCaver, Junba, and Hassan Atman Al Hau. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it is spooky season, and with our Halloween special fast approaching, uh, we open with this completely unrelated question to anything else in this episode. What is your favorite piece of werewolf media? Oh, gosh. Oh. Um, Van Helsing, the film, the movie, the the, the Hugh Jackman thing that came out, like, not 20 years ago. It can't be 20 years ago. Uh, Just just a damn bout. (laughs) Not quite but pretty darn close yeah i'm starting to feel old this is insane uh so yeah it would be that movie like it's the one film that like i love it as a movie but i i it's it's the movie that's responsible for the for why werewolf werewolves are my favorite like magical creatures with the dragons werewolves and dragons that's a good answer (laughs) i was gonna say uh my, I mean, the obvious answer is to say uh, American Werewolf, and, but I kind of want to say, because I could, genuinely the first thing that came to my head, and I don't even know if I've seen it, but the first thing that came to my head was Twilight. Is that, is that guy a werewolf in Twilight? One yes, of them is. A pack of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Twilight, but that was the first thing that came to my head, so I'll just I guess that's had the most impact on me. <laughs> so I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say the guy from Twilight. Not even the fact that he's a werewolf, just the guy. I, can't, I also can't remember his name. This isn't this isn't a great answer. Taylor Lautner, I think that was him. Taylor Lautner, there you go. The that guy from Twilight. What was the question? <laughs> was favorite it, piece it, of werewolf media. Werewolf? <laughs> oh, I thought I was just thinking the favorite werewolves. Yeah, like go on. Let's just say one of the Twilights. Twilight is there a third third one? Twilight three. Sure. <laughs> I think there were five of them. I don't even was know. Five Twilight, Twilight <laughs> Five. I'm gonna say the fifth Twilight movie. It, it was during that period where they kept making like why adapting YA series, and the last book they always broke into two movies. Yeah, yeah. The second part of the last, the whatever Twilight is. Twilight, yeah, exactly. The end part two. That there one. We go. That's my favorite um, bit of werewolf media. Now I do need to see a comic where Juni draws werewolves riding dragons. I want to see that. I, I almost made like the, the, the remark that it's weird that I never drew any werewolves. I have drawn a few dragons now, like maybe one or two, but, but never any werewolf, and that's weird. I might actually do that someday. I don't know. <laughs> that's the next comic. Yes, please. Uh, well, well, we'll get to the werewolves riding dragons later. Uh, right now, you're here to talk about the unlikely story of Felix and Macabre. Uh, your Dark Horse graphic novel out October 31st. Uh, Matt, tell us a tale. Felix is a shy little beast growing up in a world where monster wrestling is the biggest spectacle there is. Lonely and constantly bullied by the bigger monsters his age, Felix struggles to prove themselves and find their place in the world. Their fate is changed forever when a dare lands him on the doorstep of one of the scariest monsters in the world, Macabre Tales, one of the most famous monstering champions in history. Their unlikely journey together sends them to Macabre's hometown, to the mountains of the colossal, flame-wielding Kilnver, a monster able to make an army of knights out of its own saliva, and to the lair of the dastardly Amaret, the monster that made Macabre the champion they are today. Together, they face some battles for their life, not, but not always in ways that are physical. And by the end, Felix and Macabre may learn a thing or two about being tough. So what is the origin of this project? <laughs> we were, um, you know, this is good because we were, uh, it's a book that is uh, about like fighting sort of is a part of it and uh junior and i were actually we were in like a fight club in the in the underground of paris <laughs> like we don't like to talk about it but we were basically we were we were just we were just two like bare knuckle boxing champs in this underground fight club 
and um we we were evenly matched one night in a fight we were just punching and punching and not, neither of us was winning and we decided uh, at that point we should just join forces and become the the bare knuckle champions as a single unit i didn't think you would actually make the joke uh, yeah so we're not allowed, we're not meant to talk about it so Junie will obviously Junie will now pretend like that wasn't what actually happened and that there was another story cuz you have to keep the underground secret fight clubs of Paris uh, secret. Because so now, now like the actual events of me emailing and him responding is actually so much more like basic compared to that. <laughs> I wish, I wish we had actually met in a in a fight club. But yeah, so the the, the basic story is this: like we, I email him with um, um comics that I have been making using the Street Panel Naked YouTube channel. As an inspiration, well, not inspiration, but like advice, I guess. Um, and he responded saying, "Let's do a book together." And then the rest was discussing. Mostly, um, he's the one who came up with like the idea of the monsters and the world and everything. And then the rest is a very organic system of just talking and one of us having an idea and the other taking the rest of that idea and pushing it further. Um, and like I think as, I think it's the example I always use, but Kilnva is the I think the best idea we had, like the the best collaboration we had, I guess. Of like I said, let's use your dog and make him into a dragon, and his saliva turns into knights. And then he came up with the whole like interactions that they have, and and one of the best scenes in the book, I think, like just getting to Kilnva's house and seeing how those two old friends interact with each other um so yeah like it, it's it's i think i said it before like it's the best collaboration i had so far i have to yeah, it's really upsetting when he ever says that because i it that cost me a lot of money every endorsement he makes uh, <laughs> and i didn't i forgot to set an upper limit on how many times you can say nice things about me so now i'm just paying the amount of money that's draining out of my bank account to juni whenever he says a nice thing about me my God, I wish that was the case. <laughs> it's basically the same story that I was saying, uh, but if you swap out the Parisian Fight Club for uh, just a Gmail server and <laughs> us fighting each other for him just emailing me. He basically, yeah, I mean, Junie, we, Junie had kind of just got in touch just to say, like, kind of just like, you know, thank you and would you look at some of these comics just as a because um, it's had like an impact. And that was really cool because that was like kind of like the first time someone had emailed me uh, when I'd started doing the strip pound naked stuff on YouTube to say like this was actually useful as opposed to just um, I don't know entertaining or whatever else someone might classify it as, um, so it was quite cool to see that it had some impact on someone. And then also his work was like incredible, and uh, so I just got really excited. I think, and then we started chatting, and we I think we found we had like some commonalities in like the comics that we liked, and um, uh, I always say this, but like our connection to French colonies. Uh, <laughs> But maybe that was one one thing that connected us, and we uh, I think we just I don't know I, like I'm this feels weird to talk about when Junie's also in the room, but we, I felt like we it felt like we got on and we we spent like a lot of time just chatting comics, um, and I'd made this documentary like years and years ago where I'd interviewed a bunch of British wrestlers about their experiences of of, of being wrestlers, and one thing that had always stuck in my head about it was was a lot of the older wrestlers talking about how they'd given up a lot of their time in their youth. Uh, to make wrestling a reality and like they'd missed like birthdays and 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 birth of kids and stuff like that because it felt like it was it was so necessary at the time and looking back they look back at it now and they think you know if i'd if i just missed that opportunity and gone to see my child being born that would have been a better use of my time and things would have still worked out okay but but the, the young guys were saying the same kind of thing which was like they were missing stuff they were more they were being more wrestlers than people was a was a quote from it and they were missing and, and it was kind of interesting to see like if the older generation of wrestlers had just kind of spoke to the younger generation of wrestlers and said like don't miss these really important life events uh you'll be happier at the end um and and opportunities will still arise and so i thought that was a really interesting dynamic and it had been stuck in my head for a long time and uh i saw that Junie was incredible at drawing monsters like his monster designs and the short comics that he sent me was just insane. It was so cool. Um, and so I, uh, 
that was a thing. I was like, let's just do some monsters. And also let's do this idea of young people who making kind of mistakes that they will regret when they're much older, which sounds really dry for a comic that's also aimed at, at younger readers. But um, that, that's more for the parents when the parents read it, I think, that, that part of the story. I've gone on a tangent. I did go on the tangent. I got re- I just got, got carried away. <laughs> uh. <laughs> that makes me curious, and I just want to jump forward to something I was going to ask later, without it being too much of a spoiler, because this could be, and I don't expect spoilers out there. Did that idea then play into that that ending, the flash forward, this sort of what struck me as this kind of thoughts on generational trauma and breaking those cycles? Yeah, I think it's like one thing we really wanted to do and uh, hopefully we achieved it is like that thing where if someone in the sort of mid-grade age range reads it, I don't think they have the same experience that like you would have had, hopefully, when you read it. I think the, the, the... there is there's a, it's the same story obviously but the the person that you follow and the kind of ideas that you attach to i think will be very dependent upon your age um and so that was that was a big part of it but i th- i don't think it's one of those things where we want to balance it so i don't think someone that's like 12 years old is going to read that and be like yeah i i remember that when i was you know 3 or 4 making these tough life decisions that have come back to <laughs> change the way the person i am at 12 um, but yeah, it was very much about this idea of like communication through the generations and and this this idea of giving things up in 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 search so such a direct search for a goal and a dream, and if that's good or bad or I mean I don't I, there wasn't really an answer for it because in one on one hand you give up if you give up everything in search of a dream and you achieve the dream you have achieved the dream like that's incredible. Um, on the other hand, there might have been things you've missed or given up or sacrifices that were made. Um, and it's not it's not a black and white kind of like good or bad. Uh, but hopefully, because this is what happened to me when I, when we made that film, we talked to people. It, was, it just made me think about it constantly. Uh, and, uh, you know, are, are, the, are the, the paths you are following today, the things that you'll be happy about 20 years down the line? It's impossible to know. It's the beauty of life, right? You, I mean it's impossible to know if you've made the right decision or followed the right path or will you regret that decision who knows you 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 won't know for another couple of decades probably um but it was fun to kind of explore that 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 theme but there's way i don't know i feel like there's more to it than that um uh, with all the trauma and violence and everything else like that but that was kind of like the the nugget that kind of started the thing for me in my head that idea so uh you know one thing i was curious in the scripting of it you know, how did you tend to have a particularly detailed script? You know, I, I started off wanting to ask about, you know, full script or Marvel stuff, but that feels like such a false binary in this case. It, it, yeah, it, the script was weird. I mean, Junior can talk about it as well because it's, it was tailored for him, really. The, 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 I did like these five pages. I like, I've made, I said this, um, uh, I was made this joke even to Junior, I think, at the time that I'd written that I'd written these five pages for him when we were first just figuring it out, and they were so insanely detailed of just the just like just nonsense, just stuff that wasn't important really. It was just like I was getting carried away writing, thinking I was like the world's greatest comic writer and writing these epic scripts for what was just the first five pages of the comic. And Junior took those five pages and he was like, I think he drew ten or eight or ten. He turned those five pages into like eight or ten comic pages. And he didn't say this to me, but by doing that, he was like, this is what it should be. <laughs> like, this is how you should pace that out rather than what you've written. Um, and that was awesome. That was really cool to see. It was really, really interesting. And from that, so we just talked and I was like, I said to him, I was like, what do you like? What do you actually need from this script? Because he's a writer himself, right? He doesn't like there's it's not it's not like he doesn't know how to tell a story. That was the whole thing that kind of appealed to to me when I first saw his work was you can tell he's just a storyteller. So it seemed it would it felt weird to just be like, this is what you should be drawing. Like this is how many panels this page should have. This is what each one should contain. Didn't seem right because then like I'm not really utilizing his strength as a storyteller. I'm just kind of dictating things to him too much to him. And we had the beauty of working together the whole process. Like I was sending him script pages and he'd be responding to them straight away and he'd be like i've just designed this monster like can we put can we get that in there somewhere uh, i'll be like yeah okay for sure yeah or like you know 
what if this guy what if that thing that you've written there was actually this monster like what if what would that what would that mean and i was like okay cool so we had this really interesting back and forth where i'd like hand him script pages and he would then we chat about it on skype afterwards and it would lead somewhere completely different and so the thing that we started with i don't think is really where we ended up but f for good reason it was very much like molded around what he wanted to draw what june was interested in, and also a lot of he brought a lot of himself to that that world and those characters like felix i think is more him than me in a sense like i think he put so much of himself into that character and its design and everything that if i it's not like someone else could have taken that script and the book would be the same it doesn't exist without Juni. like genuinely from the foundations up it doesn't exist as a story um there's so much cool like felix stuff that he added in that has just nothing to do with me at all um and that's like there's like a whole scene with felix and his parents that I I can't remember how much it was that I scripted, but there's so much of that is just nothing to do with me. That he that Junie was just like, oh, I've got this idea for how to do this scene. And so understanding that was really, really cool because it changed the way that I thought about writing. And I don't think you can do this for everyone. You, I think you need to have this kind of collaboration. But like I wrote it in a kind of almost prosy way where I figured my goal was to write him a story that he would be able to visualize as he was reading it, rather than say, this page should be five panels. I want it to be like, you know, this page is about this feeling. It's about this emotion. This is what we're hoping to do with this page uh, and kind of give him enough description and visual flair or whatever that he would understand a way to, uh, he would understand the emotion, the stuff I was trying to get across and he would know how to turn that into a comic page. And that, uh, when I say that, I always sounds really lazy. Like I wasn't really doing very much for him, um, which might be the case to be fair. I could, it could exactly have been what happened, but I just wanted to I just wanted to rely on his natural instincts, but I tried to guide him, right? I kind of told him what I thought panels could be or like what the and there was a couple of instances where I was I was probably a bit more like specific on nine panel grids or anything like that. But for the most part, I just wanted to I figured the best way to do it is if I can tell him a story that he can picture, then he can take that picture and turn it into a, a comic that then someone else will understand. Like if I can use my language to paint him a picture, he can use his language to paint someone else a picture. Um, and that was the goal. I don't know if that's a good answer. To to be more, uh, to trim that 15 minutes or whatever, however long I've just been talking down to about five seconds, it was much more like Marvel style than it was full script. Um, but it, was, it wasn't even really Marvel style either. It was it was Juni style. You know, it was like ha Hasuni style. Very, very uh, vibes-based scripting, which uh, I can definitely get behind. <laughs> yeah, it was, I like, I don't want to, I don't want to, put down what i did <laughs> but then like it's there, all the stuff that's that's in there was probably in the script but it was not i just wasn't like specific about paneling choices necessarily but like the the way that i think about it is like you can say to some you can write a, a scene in the page where you say um uh felix runs down the street because he's running away from some kids um, there's five monsters chasing him, whatever, right? You could, I could just write that and Junie would do an incredible bit of work with that. But the way I tried to write it was I tried to give the images. So I'd say something more like um, Felix's face is terrified. He runs down the street. He flip, He jumps over a long monster that's actually a bus. He lands on his feet like a cat or whatever. And so by doing that, I'm, I'm just giving them the same information, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to get the images in his head because I think if you break it down like that, maybe you picture his face, Felix's face first, and then you you picture his jump and his landing as a separate action, stuff like that. So I was trying to give him those visual beats, um, but without being like panel one, close up on Felix's face, panel two, we see him jump or whatever, big wide frame, et cetera, et cetera. So I didn't want to do that because he's going to be better than me at that, but I wanted to give him enough that he had something to work with, if that, make, if that makes sense, hopefully. <laughs> It did to Junior anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> well, well, Junior, you know, let me ask you this. As someone who, you know, works as a solo act more often than not, have you ever gotten a, a script from a collaborator where you were like, what the shit am I looking at? <laughs> uh, yeah, that happened. Um, not that often. The thing is, I, I'm realizing now that I, I haven't really had that many experiences working on other people's scripts. Um, but yeah, there were, I, I wouldn't say that I've ever received one that I would say was bad. That's, that's never happened. Uh, however, I think that sometimes you can tell that like, 
the person who made it doesn't think visually. Mm. Um, and so very often you can tell because they're asking you to put too much on the page, like too many panels or stuff like that, um, compared to what they're asking you to put in those panels. Um, and or the pacing itself is a little is a little weird. And something that happens a lot and that I try to avoid for myself as well is because they're writing it, they have a tendency to put way too much dialogue than necessary, way more than necessary. Um, and so it's especially apparent when they try to sort of explain the plot or the themes or whatever to the reader instead of using the visuals to convey stuff. Uh, and so very often I will look at a script and I will see how the, the, the writing is done. And I'm like, yeah, the, the thing, because you're not using your visuals to figure out how you're going to tell this story, you're trying to, there, there's so much in your writing that could be conveyed through just the right, like camera angle, for example, there's say this, this line of dialogue is completely useless. If you just put the camera in this place and the character has this expression on their face and the information is conveyed, I think, much more effectively. Um, so yeah, so that happens sometimes. Uh, and like, and with Felix, there was a that was my first time working on someone's script, but it's still to me the best one that I had, and it's mostly because of the fact that it was so emotionally clear and gave a lot of room for like using the visual storytelling to tell the story, basically. Like there was no there was no over explaining. Uh, and it felt very natural too. Like it, it really felt like those characters were real people having like real conversations where someone will say something, but they, they, how do I put this? The image is going to show you how they're also withholding a lot because of how difficult it is to actually open up for that character. Like I, I, yeah, I, I was really happy working on this one. Nice. Uh, so has you know you're you're you have a strong background in in criticism. Uh, does that add pressure for you when you're writing? Uh, no, no. The thing, and I'll listen. The thing about comics is, uh, I don't think you have to be very good because <laughs> if you're working with someone who's really good. Uh, that's the thing that people are going to resonate with. I don't think, and this maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but I think if you've got a good artist, you don't have to be that good. And I'm not, and I'm, and I don't, I don't think that I'm especially brilliant. But I was working with someone who, who is, uh, and also who, who just understands like how to make comics. So I think that takes <laughs> takes some pressure off. Um, uh, but the thing, I think that what I, the thing that appeals to me, like it's kind of what Junie was saying, to be honest, which is like the visual storytelling aspect of it. And as someone that isn't an artist, I'm not, you know, my, my like engagement in that side of making comics is quite limited. Um, but what I wanted to do was give him the room to, uh, to, to do that sort of thing. Cause I wanted to kind of be in awe of it too. Right. As a, as a, as a, a fan of comics. Um, and I, and I could have, I mean, there were, there were, as I say, there were kind of a few times where like I was calling out a thing that I thought would, would work like an effect, so there's like a nine panel grid that happens maybe halfway through the book where there's like a it's like a flashback thing to a young macabre and it, it's kind of structured in a very particular way um, and so that was called out and there's a couple of other moments that were called out like that but the rest of the time i like Jeannie was saying like the i wanted what i wanted to give him was the emotion of the scene at the point of the scene um and then see what he would do with it and that was really fun because there are so many really cool moments. Like I don't, I, I talked about the, I mentioned the breakfast scene. There's a scene where the little Felix, this little scared monster has breakfast with his parents and um, his, uh, his parents are huge. And I don't, I don't, I don't think I scripted this. I don't think this was in my, I think this was a Junie uh, decision um, where he built, Junie drew these little stairs, this like staircase that Felix has to use to get up to the table which is so, it tells you so much about his life, his, his home life, in this one little clever uh, decision. That has nothing to do with me. Um, and so that, that was kind of what I felt my role in this was, was just to help kind of guide him as much as I could. 
but give him the space to do stuff like that. And then, and at least for me, as a as the as a reader, by the end of it, was I could get to enjoy those moments as well. But I don't think I would have been able to do that. I think, like Jeannie was saying about thinking visually, uh, there are loads of great writers who can think visually, and I, and I hope that in this experience, I gave Junior a script that was visually focused. Um, but part of that was is knowing that, like, I don't want to tell him how to make a sequence work visually, because that's the whole point of working with him. If that if that makes sense. So again, I don't know. I'm going to spend most of this time probably just belittling my contribution as much as possible. But re like, okay. tr truly, like, a, you know, rather than just dictate a visual effect to him, I'd much rather just give him the space to, like, I I, I want to tell him the, the point of the effect. Like, let's make this guy look, look small or feel big. There's a really cool sequence with uh, Kilmer, who's this massive dog thing that lives in a, in a volcano. And he's, he's huge, right? He's just ginormous. He lives in a dormant volcano-y mountain-y thing. And Macabre, who is the biggest character that we've seen so far in the story, is uh, a tiny compared to him. He's like a, he's like a little he's like the size of um, Kilmer's mug. He's he's just this nothing, and yet like the whole point we had a scene we wanted to like make the point about how intense Macabre is as a as a person, and so we had this idea you know well let's make let's make this guy this this big dog monster huge, but then let's make Macabre just like larger than life when he's angry. And I, I kind of gave this scene to Junie where they have this back and forth and then it turns into a big argument. And uh, I was like, the whole point of this is kind of just to make readers understand like how ferocious Macabre is. Cause we've only kind of seen him as this old guy by this point, like how scary and violent and terrifying he can be. That even this monster who is literally, I like I found like 20 times the size of him is terrified when he gets angry. And like, that was fun because I could have just told him what to do or like, six panels panel two make it do this blah 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 but i just wanted to give him the feeling and say like you use your innate comicness your comic ability um to to turn that into a cool visual sequence and it's i like that's one of my favorite bits from the book um because you have this like huge ferocious monster dog that suddenly is like this whimpering little puppy um and i like i would never have scripted it as good as he drew it. it's so it's so interesting um, it's really like I just piggy. I, I like I just got to piggyback off of his greatness. I'll talk about something else next time you ask me a question rather than just how great Junie is. But I think in this is just it's just another example of like how much fun it was to work with him on it. I also don't know if that answered the question. <laughs> I'm sorry. This will this will be a recurring theme, but I'll try. But I'll try. We're all doing our best. Uh, <laughs> Junie, you're designing monsters out of of whole cloth uh on this one you know we just described what you know Kilmer's whole deal this you know giant dog dragon who drools knights and you know it, it it's clear throughout that you're you're trying to show the reader creatures they've never seen before you know what was the design process for this book more or less challenging than you know stuff you've done before mm. i would say See, because I worked on it, like I, I designed pretty much everything like six years ago. So that was before a lot of the stuff that came out since. Mm. Um, and I think it's one of those books that I tend to go back to. Like I have an, I have a sketchbook for every project that I do. And I, so I can see like the list of sketchbooks uh, grow over the years. And that one is the most battered and the most disgusting looking one because I keep, like, it, like it's the oldest, but it's also the one that I keep going back to uh, of like, I felt like there was a bit of a lightning in the bottle moment for me in like in terms of design. Like I, I was still still trying to figure out what kind of style I was gonna have and and what kind of character designs I was gonna do. Um and I guess there was a certain level of like freedom and not really knowing how things are supposed to be done at the time. So I would say relatively like relative to how it is now. It is something that I tend to go back to as a sort of like go back to the time when you didn't you didn't know as much theory as you do now, and you just did things because it just felt right. Um, and yeah, so like it's it's probably like one of my bibles, I guess, like in terms of design now. The thing that the thing that Junie would do as well. This is what I find so fascinating about it is like the so for example the knights uh, out of the saliva. That was just like a sketch that Junior had drawn for 
I think it was like a cover, just a gen, like a random cover sketch he'd done as an idea. And it was like originally it was little luchadors, like the Mexican wrestlers. Um, and I think they were just jumping out of the mouth of another monster. And I think he'd come up with this idea of like a monster that that inside of it was just loads of little uh, masked wrestlers. I think that was an idea, that was just like some random idea he'd had. Um, obviously, because it was kind of like wrestling based sort of. And um, and, I, and I don't like it's just that sort. That's what would happen. He'd just send me like a sketch of like. I, I think like there's a character right near the start, King Sumincta, who uh, has like a head that detaches. And again, I'm pretty sure Junior was just like, I had. What about this guy whose head isn't part of his body? Is that anything? <laughs> and, yeah. like, and he just send me the like these sketches and designs of stuff that that he was just drawing monsters like all day, I guess, and would just send me a bunch like every 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 like now and then, and it would just be like these wild. Do you remember the one that was like, um, was it like Baba Yaga's house where it was like a it was like a big a monster with like big chicken legs we never yeah. we never never got used in the book yeah but we've yeah, got tons of these things never used. yeah very, like it would it would we we basically have like um i mean not maybe not that many there's maybe like a handful of monsters that we designed uh that i don't know could end up on like wrestling cards and stuff like that and like all of them are based on on a stupid idea i, I think my favorite one i think you gave me the idea of like uh a grandma, like a really old ghost lady who who became a wrestler because she jumped in the in the arena to help her son who was fighting, and she ended up she ended up winning the fight instead of him. Uh, so we just like yeah, it's, it's just like a tiny ghost lady with a with um with, with a poster, and she uses it to like fight people. <laughs> it was just, I don't like it's it was such a weird time because it's it's so much of that design element was were, were like just grown out of sketches and random stuff that he would draw and then just send to me is like, I don't know what this is, but can we do anything with it? Um, and I think even, you know, there's a really fun, uh, there's a really fun thing where, so monster wrestling is in this world is kind of like, um, it's more like gladiator fights or something. It's not, it's not quite like professional wrestling as we understand it in the human world. In the monster world, it's like actual fights, like big gladiator fights. And the ref, they, they take place in these big coliseums. Um, and the referee uh, that Junie came up with was this big bat thing that um, descends down uh, onto the Colosseum, and that's how it like blacks out the arena is by wrapping its wings all the way around the Colosseum. And again, that was like to me, that's such like a pivotal part of the world. And I think that was just the thing where Junie emailed me and was like, "What if what if the referee is like a massive bat?" <laughs> and it's just like that's kind of how we did the book was. I might email Junior and be like, is this anything? A grandma that hits people with a, a, a sign from the crowd. Or he would be like, I've got an idea for a big bat. Can we do anything with this big bat? Um, so it's so, it's so yeah, it's just so weirdly uh, us in a way that it's hard to detach from like the independent roles of writing and, and drawing it, I think. Um, now, from a, letter, a lettering standpoint, Huss, you know, what, what were you looking to do differently this time around? Well, I mean, this is like I've done a couple of uh, books for younger readers, um, and so part of it is just like part of it is some. It's just like practical things, like the lettering's like a bit bigger on this than I would probably do on other books. It's fairly, it's fairly big print size on the lettering, um, but that was also helped by the fact that I didn't write a lot of dialogue. <laughs> So there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people just uh I mean there's there's scenes of people talking, but there's the dialogue's fairly minimal. Um but also just like getting to again, I've you know, this this took us a long time to put together. And uh one of the things was seeing how Junie would letter his own work as well on his own on his own projects. And so doing something that felt like a hybrid of like what I would how I would letter him and how he would letter himself. Um but really it was just kind of again it's just like most of this process for me was staying out of his way so just having some lettering that had a lot of character because I, I wanted to like heighten it on the moments when Junie went like really big with it with like the acting and the the ferociousness and stuff like that and and making the big shouts and screams really really big and the, the kind of quiet moments kind of small and quieter so just reflect like the kind of nature of uh almost like the theatrical side of it um I like I think comics and theater are like a, I think they have a, a lot of similarity um and so I think lettering, for me, lettering is is at its most interesting and its best when it's able to do that sort of lean into the the theatrical nature of comics rather than um, 
rather than just be like subdued and out of the way because it's worried about interrupting anything. Like I wanted it to be a kind of integral part of the process, um, but without it being, uh, you know, without it being the main attraction or whatever, I guess it's the way to say that. Um, so I don't think there's anything especially kind of different in the way I'd approach anything else. It's kind of genre and, and practicality uh, ideas and readability. But also I just wanted to do something that felt fun and, and big in the same way that Junie's art was and kind of just roll along with the same volume that he was working at. That's a good answer. I don't know. It's funny you mentioned the similarities with comics and theater because I've been working on another project, editing a project about the development of a play for a theater. And mm -hmm. they've, the, the, one of the main themes of the play is toxic masculinity. Right. And when you talked about how minimal the dialogue is here, it made me just think about how much of that was in the book, because the fact that the, all the problems that, these characters have could have been settled by them just sitting down and having a conversation, but instead they just beat the hell out of each other. Mm -hmm. It, that seems so integral to this, you know, culture of toxicity because they won't talk, but it's just easier to beat each other bloody. Yeah. I mean, it is, isn't it really? I mean, that's how, I mean, that's how junior and me met as well. So, you know, <laughs> We were working out our problems in the Parisian back streets, but um, yeah. yeah, that's that. That's kind of uh, you know. I mean, that was that that is a huge is a huge part of it. Again, I don't know how much uh, uh, apart from the very obvious side of it that appears in the book. I don't know how much will necessarily like younger readers will be like this perpetuating sense of uh, generational trauma. <laughs> I don't know how much they'll get that part of it, but there there is an element of of it's okay to just talk about things. Um, and, uh, there's this idea of toughness of like, what, what do we equate toughness to of like a difference between sort of mental toughness and, and, and physical toughness and a physical toughness, not necessarily equating to a mental toughness. And in some cases being, you know, uh, inverse, the inverse of those two things being connected. So that was, that was, a uh, yeah, that was a, that was a big part of it. And what I wanted to do was not do, I mean, this is with the dialogue side. I just didn't want to over explain everything. Um, that's, I, I sometimes see that often in comics. I didn't want to lean into that idea of, of, of explaining stuff by just having people sat around and explaining it to each other. Um, especially again, working with Junie like that's what would just be a detriment to his abilities. So there is a lack of dialogue intentionally because the characters can't speak to each other. They don't know how to, uh, like I'm doing right now, they don't know how to explain <laughs> effectively the things that they're trying to say um, and the things that are going through their mind. But also there is a kind of generational um, it, traumatic impact that's been put on them by other adults that they end up kind of passing down the line and it's a bit inability to kind of like process their emotions <laughs> properly. Um, so that was that that you know, and all that kind of feeds in. Like I don't, I didn't want to put too much dialogue in because I didn't want to put too much dialogue in. But I didn't want to put too much dialogue in because um, it wouldn't have made sense. There were a few moments where they do sit around and talk to each other, but like Junie was saying, you know, it's kind of intentionally obfuscated. Like they talk around what they're actually trying to say to each other frequently. The only time when you see a lot of dialogue in the book is when you could have condensed that dialogue down to just a couple of simple sentences, but they just can't get that part out. There's that conversation with Kilmer and Macabre early on, where they're basically just trying to say to each other, like, you shouldn't have done this thing that you did, uh, and now everyone sort of hates you for it. But he can't say that. Uh, and so it becomes a much bigger conversation. But yeah, it was kind of from the ground up. In, I mean, there's Junior will know that there's tons of extra dialogue that was cut and tons of dialogue that I rewrote later on that was also cut because he was like, don't stop adding dialogue. <laughs> to this book it's there's it's fine as it is um you know i don't know it's one of those things where i just didn't want to overcomplicate it and then when i saw it i was worried that it wasn't complicated enough but then then junie talked me off the off the off the ledge um again i don't i'm like i don't know if that was the direction you landed to go to but i'll it was something the, the plane is landing each time and and the okay. more you talk up this parisian fight club 
<laughs> the more I realize that this that's all that Angoulême is. Like that is my understanding now of what that is. That's just, you know, all, all the European comics community getting together to just wail on each other. <laughs> yeah, we did. I mean, it was it was it was a strange and bloody time. Uh and we don't we don't we don't talk about it too much because it was we still bear the scars of uh the Parisian <laughs> the Parisian nights. Um you know, one thing I liked one subtle thing that I liked in this book is we talked a little bit about the flash forward, but you know, this idea that the book is pretending to be told by an omniscient narrator, but the narrator slips up and an eye gets in there and then he kind of is just like, you know, all the pretense falls away. Now we know who's telling the story. It, it gives, it gives the narrator kind of a Ron Burgundy reads off the teleprompter quality. Yeah, I appreciate it. I wish that was the reference. I wish that that was the that's great. I'm gonna stay with that. Yeah. That's gonna fall into the law now, along with the Parisian Fight Clubs. It's gonna be the Anchorman references. Um, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was. Uh, it's 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 like wanting to um, make something that it's, it's really it's like, the thing is it's really hard balance between making something that you, that feels like complicated, you know in a sense with air quotes and like deep or whatever, um, but still accessible. Um, and I thought that was a fun way because the whole book is kind of structured around, I think for like 20 pages, I think the idea is that the reader is reading it going, like, I know what this book is. Like I, I kind of, I've seen this structure of story before these kind of odd couple um, shy and then the more bombastic one. And I, I understand the journey that they're about to go on. I understand the framework of it. I understand the kind of like fairy tale narrator thing. But the idea was it was meant to look like a certain thing and then hopefully just kind of make some twists and turns along the way and not necessarily end up in the way or place you thought it would end up. Um, and so the narration was part of that as well, was the first opening it kind of would feel like a um, fairy tale Nightmare Before Christmassy thing. And then it would... The, the layers would start to fall away, which is exactly what happens to basically every character in the book as well, is they appear and they go, I'm the big, uh, strong, gruff guy. And then as the story goes on, you, you're like, oh, there's actually something else happening here. Or like, I'm the scared little monster that will gain some confidence. And then as the book goes on, you go, oh, wait, something else is actually happening here. Um, so it was all it was all part of the the trick of the 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 magic of the 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 reveal the sleight of hand I guess was was all that was all part of that. Thanks for revealing some of it. <laughs> uh, so kind of moving around to other things now. Uh, Haas, this year you released the last monthly issue of Panel by Panel. What is a favorite memory that you have from producing those seventy issues? Uh, catching up on sleep after we finished it. <laughs> it was quite good. Um, no, just um, I don't know, just making it. I like I just loved making it. Um, every month I would get uh, tons and tons of interesting essays or interviews from people um, who were passionate about comic. I think it's the thing that I, I kind of missed the most from having this break was like you are talking to people who are just so passionate about comics, like all the time, daily. Uh, and getting great, getting these interesting bits of writing from people who love comics, and like no one, no one reads less comics than people that make comics. So it's always it was nice at that period of time where you were talking to people that actually like read tons of comics and loved and loved reading comics and loved talking about comics, um, and that that was really exciting. Like that keeps you, I think that keeps like you invigorated in the medium when you're spending so much time like working on comics. Um, so that, I mean, just that, just getting to read the stuff every month. Uh, I really enjoyed putting it together. I really enjoyed designing it. I really enjoyed um, interviewing people and chatting to people about it. But that, that, that for me is the thing that I missed the most was just getting, just email. I might just email everyone and just ask them to send me articles anyway. Um, but that was the thing that I loved was, you know, I, it's just, it's just passion. It's just really cool to see everyone's passion. Um I do really, I do genuinely really miss that. I think that was that was a lot of fun. I recommend it to anyone listening to this just to mm -hmm. go and read good good writing about comics because it will make you excited about comics. If if you feel like you're not excited about comics anymore, or you feel like you couldn't possibly be more excited about comics, reading good writing about comics 
will make you love comic. They'll make you go out and spend loads of money and, and buy new comics and check things out you've never heard of before. I I am a, a, a big uh, fan of comics criticism and writing about comics. In a given month, how much of your life did the magazine take up versus lettering? This is why I, this is why I had to stop for a bit because I I took the time to work that out, and uh, it it was a lot. It was more, it was more than it, uh, not more than it should have been, but it was, uh, it was. I just didn't have enough time to do anything else outside of those two things. Really, um, it was it was eating up a lot of time. And it was a lot of stress and pressure, um, but it was a lot. It was it was basically every other. I mean, in a non-exaggeratory way, it was basically every other part of my life was taken up doing that. It was a lot of time, um, and so I yeah I, I remember chatting to Tiffany Bab, who's the co-editor of it, um, and she said to me once she was like, "Have you worked out how much time it takes every week?" And uh, I was like, "No, you know, I've never actually like sat down and loved I've never actually logged it," and so I did that around about issue 60 maybe somewhere around the arch issue i think and uh I'd, once i'd logged that i realized then it might be time to have a break um <laughs> and then it took another t- it took another 10 months for that to happen um but yeah it was it's a lot it was a lot of time i don't it's not we don't need to go into the specific hours but it was a it was a it was a lot of uh my life yeah but i love doing it it's not I saying that in a way where it sounds like i was a lot i, I didn't but like I absolutely love making that. And hopefully reading that magazine, it, that comes across. But um, yeah, it was it's probably just after 70 issues. How many years? Six years or something like that. It's quite a long time to to do that every month. Um, but I'm pretty, I'm really proud of it. I think it's, I think it still stands up. And I think it was also just made in a way where you, it doesn't need to have been. I mean, I say this with retrospect, it didn't need to be monthly. <laughs> it didn't need to be. Um, it also doesn't like just because an issue came out in you know in in October of of twenty twenty doesn't mean that's any less interesting to read now. It's kind of designed in a way where that each thing could be kind of timeless. So uh, that's also a little plug for me if you're listening to this to go check some issues of, of Panel by Panel out. But um, yeah, I do miss it. I, I, it'll it'll be back at some point. It'll it, I'll be there'll be more. There will be more at some point. Your business cards now say publishing magnate, and if not. Why not? <laughs> they uh, say tired. <laughs> they say <you're> tired. <laughs> and uh, where, where do you ha- where do you have the Eisner stashed? Uh, it's downstairs. I've got one downstairs. Tiffany uh, <laughs> Tiffany has the because Tiffany's was there was there for the both times. I think she was there for both times that we won. Uh, so Tiffany is keeping the others. Uh, I think so. Technically, I think she's got two as well. Tiffany, uh, uh, she's keeping that safe. Um, <laughs> It's cool. It spins as well. It's a, it's a cool award. Like it's, a, I showed it to my dad, and uh, my dad's response, uh, he saw it and was like, "Oh, it's like an actual thing," um, which is the best description of an Eisner I think I could give you. It's like a genuine. It's like an actual. It is like a genuine thing. It's like a real thing. Uh, between between panel by panel and strip panel naked, you know, it feels like you're always teaching us a lot about the craft of comics. Where do you go to learn? Uh, just I just I don't know I guess reading comics uh talking to Junie um yeah just re- I mean just reading stuff like reading comics talking to people like you know it's, it's fun talking to like doing 70 issues of panel by panel was more than 70 interviews but like a lot of interviews and a lot of discussion a lot of chats I also really like like film theory books that that's not really the sometimes relevant um I just got uh, just bought a new one from uh, Paul Schrader had written about like contemplative cinema, which is really interesting. Um, but I like reading about that like crafty stuff um, and just listening to people talk about how they made things uh, and chatting to creators and just asking them about like processes for specific, you know, like specific processes is always really really interesting to me. Um, I always like to use the uh, I always like to use the Penn and Teller example of um, I don't know if you've ever seen, if you're big Penn and Teller fans. If you've ever seen Penn and Teller do the cups and balls, which is that classic trick of uh, three cups and you hide balls underneath them and they keep moving around and jumping mm-hmm. above and stuff. And then they so they do that trick and then they they uh, then they switch the cups out for see-through cups and do it so you can literally just see what they're doing. You can see the magic. And in a sense, it's less impressive, but also it's significantly more impressive because you can see the magic happening. You can see that all the sleight of hand and the misdirection. It's absolutely incredible. It's so cool. Um, uh, and so I like that's the thing that I get fascinated by, like specific 
like how why did you choose to put these two panels next to each other why did you make choose to make them this big in this in the page like what are you trying to do like what was that conveying for you so i just like to ask very specific questions to people about their work uh, and just get a sense of their process um but yeah i guess just reading comics man i just like to i just a big i just a big nerd you know what you should do um the hollywood reporter used to have this thing maybe they still do uh the the like the round tables yes exactly that name yeah that's what i was yeah. looking for so they, they basically just take a bunch of like actors or directors and put them around a table and they talk about craft all the time and i want the same thing before comics and i've wanted yeah that would be good I want I've wanted that for years. Not just to participate in it. I just want to have I just want to be able to have like a bunch of creators sitting around like a podcast and talking about how they do stuff. Mm -hmm. so that would be cool. And I think it's perfectly doable. Like you just get everyone on their computers at the same time. Yeah. It shouldn't be too hard. We spend most of our most of our time at home anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like all that sort of stuff, man. I love all that kind of it's just people talking about like very because it's different when you get like if you get two letterers to talk to each other uh, outside of the realms of like having to be interesting, it becomes really interesting. That's what I think anyway. Like outside of having to having to like try and make it accessible to people that aren't letterers, it's just fun. Uh, to hear two people but again it's only interesting if you're interested in that part of it but like it's always fun to hear two letterers just specifically talk about lettering like i absolutely love people getting hyper hyper specific on the thing that they're they're good or interested in it'd also be fun to watch you and it is car in that underground parisian fight club just yeah he, i think i think he'd get i think he'd get me i think, <laughs> I, I, think I do I think I'd go down pretty quick, to be fair. I mean, that's the other one. He's coming at Thought Bubble, isn't he? He is. We could fight. I'll fight him. Yeah. So, because like, I've already had like a bunch of like stuff that we're supposed to do together. So, we can. Yeah, we'll fight. Well, you can referee this one and then when it, when it takes you, I guess that's how we'll do it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to text him afterwards, ask if he, if he wants to fight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Judy, this isn't the only book that you've got coming out at the moment. Uh, this week, as we're recording, TKO is releasing uh, Mobilis, My Life with Captain Nemo. Yes, uh, the break. Yeah. So, obviously, when things are released and when things are are, are made are, are two completely different things. Uh, which, which came first for you in terms of, of, of writing and drawing? Uh, so, Felix came first because he was, like, a good six years ago. Wow. Although... Uh, oh, I guess, I guess Nemo came first. Because uh, I read I read the uh, Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea when I was twenty one, maybe, mm -hmm. and I drew Nemo at that moment. Like the design was made then, uh, and then a good eight years later, I'm, I'm in bed during the pandemic and having a panic attack, and then a bunch of flashes of stuff just just start coming up. Um, and and he was like images of Nemo and his crew and uh, stealing pieces of like art and uh, offering them to some kind of weird eldritch entity under the sea. Uh, and that so that was the beginning of the idea. So I guess Nemo came first, but then the idea of the book and what the book would be about came about in 2020 and 2021. Mm -hmm. uh, just the thing of a mix of the anxieties of the end of the world, kind of, as well as all the issues that come about when you try to do, to to keep your relationship to someone work out when when there's just way too much like psychological mess in between, uh, and that's how it ended up becoming this story about this very old grizzly Captain Nemo trying to figure out how to raise a little girl who lost everything. And he himself is so emotionally stunted that he's not the right uh, role model for anyone, really. Uh, and yeah, like it was a book that I needed to make. Uh, like I, I, it was really useful in a therapeutic sense. Like it allowed me to to let go of a bunch of different things. Um, so yeah, it was it it. it it technically started before Felix, but a lot of the stuff that I learned from Felix and other books like Jillia and others ended up becoming what uh, 
I put in Mobilis, like especially visually, like there's a lot of stuff in Mobilis that I could not have been able to do just five years ago. My friends were watching me make the pages and they were like, this is like three times the level of detail you usually put in, in your drawings. The there's a bunch of like ideas that you that you have that you we don't think we've ever seen you use before. So yeah, like it was a step up. Like you looking at the the huge book that it is, I can see like some stuff where I'm like, yeah, this is definitely the result of the last five the last five years of progress that I've made. Uh, speaking of timelines, you know, how do you fit, you know, drawing covers for for different publishers around drawing and writing whole ass graphic novels? You know, are you you know, working on an OGN Monday through Friday and then doing covers for like Transformers and Ninja Turtles on the weekends or something like that. Um, um, Hass is smiling because he knows. Uh, <laughs> I On Mobilis, I was at a pace of something like four or five pages a day, color included. Uh, Ridiculous. Plus, plus writing and and drawing for other things as well. So the the TMNT uh, stories that I was doing, uh, and the covers and like so so, yeah. The I am apparently quite fast. And he's doing like a week. He's doing like a week's worth of work every day. <laughs> uh, like even right now, I'm working on a I'm working on a mini series, and it's the pace of the pace of two pages a day. And I could do more if I wanted. I just don't want to because I don't want to overload myself. Uh, plus, I have another thing that I'm writing as well. So, yeah. Uh, just like like he was talking about the first few pages he gave me for Felix at the time, I turned him into... Yeah, I drew, I drew and colored nine pages in two days. Uh, like the first nine pages of Felix were done in two days. That was, yeah, seven years ago, something like that. But even, I mean, even the when, what even because you you were coloring Felix like last year, yeah, I guess, and even that was, I thought like, is I'm mean, like it looks incredible, but I, I don't know there's something wrong with him. I don't know what it is. But it's just <laughs> he 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 is so like the work is incredible, and yet you, you I'll be like, what what did you do today? And he'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I drew like seven thousand issues of this thing and. <laughs> Uh, I, mean, I wrote like a, I wrote like a hundred pages of this next thing, and I'll be like, it's like just <laughs> it's, it's like three o'clock on a Monday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a friend who's been working on the same comic for ten years, and she still hasn't drawn anything. And she says I'm I'm giving her anxiety because <laughs> every week, every Friday we have lunch, and uh, and like every week I show up with like a full issue drawn and and uh, that I was storyboarding the week before, and she's she's just mad, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I don't necessarily recommend that. Like, I just, I'm, I'm an exception, I guess, in that way. Uh, and there's a lot of, like, I was raised by a dad who told me work smart and fast because you're very lazy. So, <laughs> so I mean, I was lazy for, like, schoolwork and stuff like that. Not so much for comics. I'm always working on, on I'm always drawing anyway. Um, but basically he told me work fast and work smart, meaning find ways to get the work done as quickly as you can without losing on the quality. And I like cartoony styles anyway. So I tend to go for like stuff that doesn't have any much detail and stuff. And, and there's also the, the thing that Jack Kirby was asked, uh, where, and he gave like he also gave like a number of pages that he was doing every week and it was an insane number and when he was asked how you do it he says i've learned one not to draw and, and it was kind of like a spark in my head of like yeah actually that that actually makes a lot of sense like that, that's how you do it you figure out what you actually need to get the point and the and the vibe that you want and then you you don't draw the rest because who cares Can I jump in with a question? Sure. Junie, what um what takeout did you have? That's over your shoulder. Yeah, uh fries in uh I'm not sure how you translate that in, in English. It was meat and fries and some salad. It was really nothing fancy. <laughs> okay. I just this just made me hungry this whole this whole yeah. recording. Yeah, I, and I'm just I'm just lazy because like I ate it, I ate it and then I left it there because like I needed to go back to work and 
well, we don't want to keep you from that for too much longer. So penultimate question, uh, what are y'all reading right now? No, boy. He's do, you, do, you want, do you want to go first? <laughs> no, I know you want to talk about Thief. Yeah, I read a, there's a book by uh, Lucy Bryan called Thieves, which I read and then I reread. And I, just yesterday, I thought I'd start reading it for the third time uh, in the past couple of weeks. I, re- I think it's really, really good. I think it came, maybe came out last year, but I only was only aware of it this year. Um, and it's about these uh, like college students who um, meet. And I don't want to ruin the, because it's a fun, it happens really early on, but it's like a really fun thing. So I don't want to say too much about it, but basically it's just beautifully drawn, beautifully told, incredible lettering. It's all done by, it's all done by Lucy. So, but it's just, just stunning lettering, stunning. It's just really clever sequences as well. Like really smart cartooning. Um, I love it. I've been a huge fan of it. I read it three times in the, like, genuinely like the past, in the past week. And then for some reason, uh, I don't really know why, but the Adrian Tomine's things on my desk. But I've already read it. I think I maybe took it out from uh, my my um, uh, shelves last week and read it again. I can't really remember why it's on my desk. Um, but that, I think that's the Thieves by Lucy Bryan is the one I keep. I can't stop talking about. It's really good, really, really, really good, really good. But Junior, Junior have you read you? a comic in the past <laughs> two years? <laughs> Um, see, I'm I'm looking at the table that I have next to me with like all my reference stuff. Uh, there is an, a humongous amount of um, Darwin Cook, so I'm gonna say Darwin Cook, which I, I think I've probably mentioned in the podcast before because like I'm, I'm kind of obsessed. Uh, and and uh, the new the new the new frontier is kind of my bible when it comes to like superhero storytelling. Uh, so yeah, like I'm, I'm, I think I have developed a tiny bit of like a cult of personality around Darwin Cook just for myself. So I'm this close to working in the street, like pamphlets and just giving them to people of like, have you heard about our savior? He died for your sins. Uh, and did you, yeah. have you read the spirit yet? Did you get, did you get a copy? Yeah. Yeah. I read, I think I read all of it. Uh, yeah. uh which i i had to use uh, certain means to get to because i couldn't get my hands on like a physical copy which is insane i have no idea why it's not available anywhere like I, i'm oh. actually mad um the only thing i still have to to read is the watchman stuff he did uh i think the rest i read i read already and yeah i'm just in love with like I do have, I, I prefer his superhero stuff to the crime stuff, but that's not just because of my own pr- personal preference. Um, so I tend to know more about that side of his work. But yeah, I, I just find it absolutely insane. He's um, He's got an excellent understanding of what makes those characters work and keeping them clever and, and thrilling, but also accessible to like all ages stuff without ever losing on making complex stories. Uh, so yeah, he's my he's my role model when it comes to stuff like that. Well, uh, fellas, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you both back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with uh, the unlikely story of Felix and Macaber and everything else that you have going on? Um, I'm on I'm on like the t- Twitter and the uh, other uh, Blue Sky as uh, Hassan Ali. Um, I've got like a I've got like a like a semi regular newsletter where I just talk a little bit about lettering that you can find on those things as well. Um, and then Felix and Macabre is out uh, at the end of October um, in shops and uh, from anywhere you can buy comics, I guess, and books. Um, and it's good. Well, we quite like it. We think it's all right. And uh, <laughs> I do think it's like any age from like 10, 12 upwards we'll get something out of it um and you should definitely check it out or you know get it from a library or get it from a uh online place Am- mm-hmm. amazon can you say that or anywhere else really just anywhere i mean it doesn't as long as you buy it it doesn't really make any difference what you get I, from. I always i always recommend bookshops because my best <laughs> my best friends have a bookshop and if i if i mention amazon in any positive <laughs> way i'm gonna get killed uh, I only I would prefer only if you bought it from Amazon. I don't want anyone. <laughs> it. 
if you've got a local bookshop and you've ordered it from there, I'd cancel the order and get it from Amazon instead, please. <laughs> and no, don't actually don't do that. <laughs> that's if you're listening to that. It's not. I realize that that I'm, that's that's a very dry joke. So don't uh, <laughs> don't take that as serious. But if you get it from Amazon, it, it's, it's also fine. You know what I mean? Mister Mister Amazon needs the money as well. <laughs> What's his name? John Amazon, whatever he's called. He yes, needs, he might need some money. <laughs> so. His name is Mitchell. <laughs> it's up to you. As long as you get it, we're happy. If you don't get it as well, we're also happy. I don't want to, you know, there's no pressure. It's not like a high. <laughs> just, as long as you're happy, we're happy. And if that means you have also have our book, then that's also fine. It's <laughs> justify the means. <laughs> Basically, just as long, just be happy. Just try and be happy. And then get the book as well separately from that as a task. So, so if you couldn't guess, Hass is British. I think just have a nice day, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Have a nice day. You know what? That's how we're going to end. <laughs> yes. Also, follow Junie as well. Uh, and then also have a nice day, I think, would be good. Yes. Both those but again, if you don't want to, I, it's one of those things in there. You feel like you say that and then you think, but if you're not having a nice day, do you not enjoy that as well? <laughs> I don't want to make you have a nice day. It's not It's not my place to tell you to have a nice day, really. We could just cut all this out. <laughs> I don't know what this is. This isn't anything. So we can cut all of this part out. I just go straight into Junie talking about where you can find him. Uh, oh yeah, Junie, where we where can we find you? <laughs> uh, Twitter mostly and, and Instagram, but like I guess those are the Twitter I use the most. Uh, as long as Twitter is here, anyway. Uh, so yeah, I would say those. And yeah, you can just search for my name, I guess. But I don't know. I think I'm posting less and less on Twitter, and the best way, I guess, to like interact with me is probably my books so go to your local shop bookshop or whatever and ask for whatever books you know seem interesting to you yeah we're also we're also every other friday night we're at the parisian fight club if you know where it is <laughs> then you know but with a second and last friday of eight of each month all right gentlemen thank you so much for coming on the show thank Thanks you for having us that's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash comicsxf, where a dollar donation gets you a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $2 donation gets you early access to WMQ&A and a shout-out at the end of every episode. A $3 donation gets you a sticker, early access, and a shout-out. A $5 donation gets you access to our monthly bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the comic appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $25 donation lets you request a primer, one of our custom reading guides for a series, character, or creator at ComicsXF, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Lisa Slack, Will Redmond, Tobias Carroll, Natalie Jordan, Mike Sagawa, Will Nevin, Liz Large, Asimov Fangirl, Carla Pacheco, and Robert Secundus. You're all special, and we love you. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. You can also follow ComicsXF on Facebook, Instagram, and Blue Sky. And until next week, remember, Rob Liefeld's greatest contribution to comics isn't Deadpool or Youngblood or even Major X. It's his impression of Todd McFarlane. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.